You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. People ask us, how do you not hold on to stuff? Because we're hearing people's traumas. We're hearing people share stuff that really impacted them. And some of it's small and light, but it's still, they created a belief around it and it's impacting them. Or some of them is a divorce or rape or death or cancer or something like that. And we have to... Monica and I, and you know, specifically, I have to be able to hear it, support them, help them process it, have it move through me and let it go. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. So I'm gonna be holding on to everything. Mm-hmm. So the way that I do that is the belief that everything is happening for the highest good. And so that I'm with you in the moment, I'm there to serve you, and I believe that this is part of your spiritual curriculum it passes through me. And that's how I don't hold on to it. And also maybe I don't hold on to it in my brain. Tell me more about that. You said you think everything is happening for the greatest good. The reason why I'm exploring this topic is because it's a common recurring trend with uh, individuals in our field, because we tend to work with other people. A lot of times it has people's traumas, their stresses in life. And you know, you have a conversation like that. It's very hard to not be impacted, at least in the moment. And as you say that I release it by saying everything is happening for the greatest good, my question goes, well, but how do I release the emotion that I just experienced somebody express so deeply about? Or... I mean, I I understand in principle, but what I'm asking is how does that really translate? So let me answer it from a perspective of your own personal life event or a life event you're seeing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's levels of stuff that's happening around you. So let's say you want to open up a store and you're really excited about this location and you're negotiating and you can't make a deal and then the store goes to someone else and now you have to find a different physical location. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to say, oh, well, everything's happening for the highest good Mm -hmm. because you know what? I'll bet I'm going to find a different place. I'm going to find a different location and it's going to turn out to be better and it's going to something that I don't know yet. So that's like an easy way to do it. And I'll pause and I'll say that one of my favorite quotes is why not win in your own fantasies? Mm. So why not win in your own fantasy or is it fairy tale? I always forget if it's, it's beautiful either way. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I think that's a huge, like it has so many tangents to really go into, but go So, on. So as you speak with me, you will learn that I tangent, but I also have a project manager brain and I'll come back to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's what we're going to do. So why not win in your own fantasies from John Roger, who was actually the founder of University of Santa Monica, Santa Monica before um, Ron and Mary Holnick took it over. And... I live in my own fantasy because there's so many things that are happening that we don't know why or we assign the reason why something happened. And I can either assign a reason that serves me 
that brings me joy and happiness, or I can assign a reason that makes me sad and hurts and is rough. Like what happens after you die? Well, we don't know. So what's the reason I want to assign nothing and it's dark and it's miserable and forget, or do I want to make up some fairy tale? Like, I don't know. My belief is not going to change what actually happens, but my belief is going to change my experience of life until it happens. So why not create a fairy tale that serves me? I'm the author of the book of my life. Why not create stories? So I live in Disneyland. I'm in Disneyland in my head all day long, making up fairy tales, making up fantasies that serve me over and over and over again in order to experience the most joyful, happy, impactful life that I can have. So there's a whole another conversation about denial and spiritual bypass, which is a different conversation. But to get back to the original one of everything is happening for the highest good, what I do is I assign the story of how this is happening for the highest good. And it may be really clear right away, or it may not be clear for some time. So in our master's program, there's a project that you have to do. And one person in Monica's, when she was taking the class, wrote a book called Thank God I. And what he did was he had all these people contribute stories of Thank God I. And it's something that happened that was tragic or difficult or challenging in the moment that then turned out totally differently. Mm-hmm. And Monica wrote, Thank God I was hit by a truck because she almost died. And she'll, you can talk to her. She'll tell you the story of how she left her body, but she almost died, but she came back and that caused the transformation to where she is now. And you know, Monique and I almost got divorced. So it's, thank God, I almost got divorced. And people contributed, and these are really crazy titles and like, or just extreme titles. Thank God I was raped. Thank God I got cancer. And it's because something in the moment that did not seem great at all over time had a different result. So the way that I live life is I look for what the gift is. I look for what the lesson is. I look with curiosity. Huh, I wonder how this is going to turn out. I don't know yet, but I know it's going to turn out for the positive. I wonder how this is going to turn out. And I look for how this is happening for the highest good. So are you saying, or what what I'm hearing you say is that when you reframe somebody's emotion or their expression of what happened for them or through them, you simply say, thank God this happened for them. Now I can let it go because it must have happened for the greater good for them and that I am in this coaching relationship with them. It's greater good for me. And so I can release this emotion. Is that, am I reading that? That's what happens for you as an experience. Okay, so now I'm clear. So as a coach, Mm -hmm. so now we're talking that, Jan, the coach, mm-hmm. who is talking to people, who's dealing with stuff, all of this, how do I deal with that? Mm-hmm. So the way that I deal with that is curiosity. Mm-hmm. Like I know. I'm talking about the emotions that one takes on, almost like as if you're an empath. Okay. And do you even take them on? I it could be that I just don't because that's just who I am. So I feel them, but they don't stay inside of me. Yeah, so you're able to 
organize yourself naturally. You don't need special tools I for don't. it is what you're saying. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, yeah because I don't have a process. Like mm-hmm. I know that there are processes of I'm before every session, like Monica will check her energy and maybe potentially do psychic protection and may, you know, set her energy around her. And and I know a lot of coaches go through those things. Mm-hmm. I don't do any of that. It, I naturally, it just, it does not stay. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. That's what I was clarifying because just right before you came in, I was recording a podcast for empaths or individuals that feel very empathetic uh, to the relationship with their clients and cannot let go even after the session. And so they're not able to take it on to a next session or feel drained for the entire day because they had a coaching session. It's a whole different tangent. We're not going to go into that. I want to actually talk about what we were talking about previously for a hot minute, which is we talked about how most relationship or at least the number one cause for ending relationships is infidelity. And the number two relationships is money. Uh, And I want to first talk about the money part of it, right? So... What I know for sure, and it's like you said, it's number two reason why people separate. I know me and my wife, when we first moved to Austin, we had a big argument for about two months because we recognized that our, at least that's that was the afterthought. Initially, when we were in it, we were just like the other one's an idiot. <laughs> like, they just don't get it. They're not responsible. She thought I wasn't and I, I thought she wasn't. Eventually, we understood that our value systems are different. Or at least that's where we are at right now. Like just how we look at money and the role of money in our life is different. What is your experience? What have you seen if there was an overarching trend or if there was an overarching something that tends to be the reason why relationships struggle with money? It's literally what you just described. I have my value system and my beliefs around money. They have their value system and their beliefs around money. And I'm not looking at theirs and trying to understand theirs and really be with theirs. They're not trying to be with mine. We're just simply defending our own. And as a result, we're arguing and we can't, and we're then blaming and shaming. So to me, it's not a money conversation. So the way that my brain works often is that whatever the topic is, you can pull that out and it's just a template. So the biggest reason why people have arguments is a misunderstanding, a miscommunication, or an inability to have the other person feel seen, heard, understood, made important, valued, and loved. And so it's literally like, okay, you know what? We're arguing about money. We just moved, we're in an upset. And what I wanna do right now is, I wanna know exactly what you're thinking. I wanna know exactly what you're feeling. If you could tell me your ideal scene of how our money could work in terms of how we're spending it, how we're saving it, how we're investing it, how are we putting it towards whatever it is that's important to us, like all of that, I wanna know everything. And, and then reflect it. Okay, so what you're saying is this. And what you're saying is that. And what you feel is this. And your concern is that. And, and your reason is because you saw your mother do this or you saw a, 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 your family experience this. Is that accurate? Is there anything else you want to share? Okay, I really get all of that. And then you ask, are you open for me to share my experience and what I would love. And you might get a, nope. 
(laughs) (laughs) Not ready. Or you might get a yes. Mm -hmm. Or you might get a not yet. Mm -hmm. That's usually, those are the three. Or, or they might have more that they need to share, you know? Yeah. And then you're able to go, this is what I think. And this is what I believe. And this is what I feel. And then if they were then start at responding, I go, no, hold on. I need you to reflect me first because I need uh-huh. you to really get what I, I need to feel heard now. And I need to feel mm-hmm. forgotten. And then hopefully if the couple truly is, is, you know, if they love each other and they're in a relationship and they want to do build together, then it's like, okay, now there's me and there's you. And then how do we create us? Mm. And then you create your agreements. And, and this is where compromise comes into place. This is where trust comes into play. This is where whatever we choose, it's going to happen for the highest good comes into play. Mm-hmm. And it also... There's another very critical element of spiritual psychology, which is seeing the loving essence, which is the belief that everything that your partner says and does is coming from a loving place. Mm. So then it's okay. As we move forward, Mm -hmm. then what we're going to do is we're trusting each other and we're doing the best that we can because we want the same thing. I love the process. Do you feel the process that you just explained is more available or easier to have for individuals that have some interest in personal development. And so they're willing to sit down and talk about, firstly, be able to listen to somebody else without responding <laughs> for, yeah. say, 30 minutes even, uh, and then sit back and go, okay, I'm going to reflect it back. It's it's a process. Like it's it's not, it sounds really simple, but I can see how difficult it can get. Do you think it is more available to individuals that may be a little bit more open-minded? Or do you feel that this process can be run even when the person is just like, you know what, I don't, Like I don't sit down and talk to my wife about anything really because I work 10 hours a day or the wife works 10 hours a day and both of them work 10 hours a day. They barely have time to talk to their kids. How does that unfold for somebody like that? So it's tricky. Here's what I'm hearing you say. So imagine I'm a fitness coach and someone wants to lose weight and they're like, listen, I eat whatever I want to eat and I don't want to exercise, but I want to be healthy and fit. It's like, listen, like, I, I, I wish I could come up with a magic solution. You know, I wish I could tell you how to do it where you don't have to do all of those things. Um, I think that a level of self-awareness is critical. I think being able to see yourself and see how you're operating. I think a desire to be better, do better. And not from a judgment place of good or bad, but always like, how am I growing? How am I learning? How am I elevating? I think that's critical for having a fulfilling life and having an effective, successful life. It's critical for not having a lot of upset in your life. And I think it's critical in having a healthy, happy, loving relationship. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Do you think, or, or this is a curious question as well, it's, Again, I've seen this as there's one person in the relationship that is really willing to do the work. Mm-hmm. And the other person is just not there yet. Like they're just, and maybe they'll be there in time, but right now they're not at that stage. They're not available, not because of they don't want to have the conversation. They're just not ready for the conversation. How do you manage a personal expectation or self-awareness or this dialogue at that kind of a relationship stage? So I have a belief that your perspective can shape their behavior. So the way that you see somebody 
impacts how you relate to them, what you talk with them about. And then as a result, that can impact their behavior. So we do this thing with our clients and we've done it ourselves. And it's a relationship project where you're working on a relationship with someone and they don't even know that you're working on the relationship with them. Tell me more about that. Okay. So give me an example so I can understand. Of course. So I did this as part of my master's and I chose my brother because I love my brother. Um, and yet the relationship wasn't the way that I wanted it to be. My experience was that we only had surface level conversations. My experience was we talked about sports. We talked about movies. We talked about our children. We talked about politics because we agree. And so these were the things that we would talk about. But with other people, I would talk about my heart and I would talk about what I'm working on and we'd talk about my relationship with my wife and my kids and and I never would have these conversations with him. And so as part of the project, the first thing I would do or I did was connect to the part inside of myself that truly was connected with him and truly loved him. So one of those things is he introduced classic rock to me. So every single day I would listen to some classic rock and I would just use that as a way to connect with him, even though he wasn't around. So I'd listen to The Who and I'd listen to The Doors and I'd listen to Led Zeppelin and just really listen to some good old fashioned classic rock and roll. Mm -hmm. I had a picture of he and I, of him and me, mm -hmm. <laughs> and of us when we were young. And I would look at that every day and I would send him love. And one of the things that I heard once is that, you know, there is no space in the emotional and the spiritual realm, in the spiritual realm. So sending him love with the belief of he's receiving it. And so I was just doing those things without even communicating with him. And then I had an awareness as a result of doing those things. I had an awareness that I only talk to him about surface level things because I think that's what he wants to talk about. And maybe I'm the one who's putting him in a box through my perspective of who he wants. So the next time we got together, I intentionally shared something about what was going on in my business or struggle or my family. And he listened and what did he do? He then shared something that was going on in his life. And I was like, oh, okay. He never shares any of these things, maybe because I never create a safe space because my lens of him is he only wants to talk about this. So I believe our perspective impacts our relationship with people and it shapes their behavior. I'll give one other very quick example. For years, my wife, Monica, had a perspective that I wasn't a fit guy. I wasn't an athlete. I didn't want to work out. So she would never invite me. She just, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to go swim. I'm going to go do this. In her mind, he's not going to want to go. And so I never went. Mm -hmm. But then when she eventually asked, it was like, okay, I'd love to go spend time with you. Mm -hmm. I'd love to go do that. Mm -hmm. But because she had a perspective of how I was and what I wanted, lots of assumptions, then she made choices, which then put me in a box. So the way to work on a relationship when you're the only one working on the relationship is one, work on yourself. And two, you can work on your connection and your love with someone without them even participating. And that may just shift 
how you see them, how you relate to them, which suddenly then like, oh my goodness, this person's behaving differently all of a sudden. I wonder why. So what I'm relating and what I'm understanding is because you have shifted, the person's response to you has shifted. And so even if they are not in the personal growth journey or they're not interested in money dialogue or whatever, because you are having the conversation, it's almost like they're reacting to what's showing up. And because you are being vulnerable, they are being vulnerable. Because you are being interested, they are being interested. And it may happen first spiritually like you did with your brother and then eventually actually physically in the real in the realm of reality. And, and that's how you can start inviting a partner or parent or whatever that is in the money conversation as well. Am I reflecting correct? You it's are. kind of like, yeah. You, you are reflecting perfectly. And the key is maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe. Oh yeah, of course. Maybe. You never know. Yeah. You never know. Sometimes yeah. people, they will continue to be exactly the way that they're being. But you know what the result of that is? You feel better, typically. Yeah. And I think eventually what also happens is sometimes, yes, they may not immediately change. But eventually, they see a better side. At least in my experience of life, I've seen that it's it, maybe people won't change immediately. Maybe not. For the matter, most of the time, I think they don't. But eventually, they get around to it. I remember this uh, conversation between me and Nita. Nita is my wife. It was one of those journeys. I grew up in India, and because of that, I was just like my habit formation was not very good around health and fitness because that's just not a thing we did in India at the time I grew up. Now it's pretty mainstream, but it wasn't at the time. Nobody cared about nutrition. It was like if you were actually overweight, you were wealthy. Is why you're right. overweight because you ate well. <laughs> sure, sure. Right. So the concept of health was very flawed in many ways. And so I grew up like that. So most of my conditioning for the first 30 some years of my life was you don't need to go to the gym. You don't need to eat well. You just, you know, you just need to eat uh, and eat whatever your heart desires. It became a comfort thing. It became a thing that would, I would use for stress, for anxiety, and so forth. Uh, even for celebration, like everything was food, basically. So food was the undertone to everything and not the food that you should be eating, the food that is the most, you know, uh, fried and, you know, all the guilty pleasures that you can have. And it seemed right to me. And because at that time, my body didn't respond like body is fine, right? Body, especially when you're younger, bodies like could take anything and then some. And then Nita came into my life. And first, initially, I resisted a lot. I was like, what are you talking about? She's extremely fit uh, and has been for, I think, the longest time because she's focused on health because of her own personal story and so forth. And so initially, I couldn't see it. But then eventually, when my son was born, that was the first where I was like, oh, shit, I... I want to work on my health. I want to be an example to this kid. And then once my daughter came into being, the question completely changed because my question began, how do I want to be when I'm 85? Do I want to be like one of those grandpas that just sits on the chair or do I want to be an active grandpa or active father if they don't choose to have kids to just be like the guy that goes on hikes with them, goes to, you know, surfing with them or walks for them and running for them, gym with them. So I can be an active person, not like somebody they have to take care of but almost like somebody can be still a friend, uh, have step-by-step with them. And that just changed my reality. But I would say for the first three years or so, Nita would say, yeah, he doesn't want, like he doesn't want the same thing, but she would keep the conversation going. She would keep reflecting why she's doing what she is doing, what some of the things that she's finding out without saying you have to do it. And then eventually it took me three years. (laughs) This is a really long time. But eventually, because of my own personal experience of life, it changed. But I think one of the key elements of that was that I had a partner that stayed the course by simply sharing their perspective without even asking me to change. I have a similar story. 
Um, by the way, and I'm glad that you're eating. Yes, it's so important to be eating healthy and taking care of our bodies. I'm 52 and I want to be 52 with abs. I'm working on it. I'm almost there. And my father is 81 years old and he goes golfing every Friday and he does nine holes and he carries his own clubs. And it's like, that's what I want. And so it's not what I grew up with. I was 100% like you, but it's something that clicked at some point and is very, very, very important to me. And I have a similar story. Monica, my wife, got her master's degree and it completely transformed her life because it's a two-year program. They don't offer it anymore, but it's a two-year program in learning how to truly step into the unconditional loving of yourself and your life. And you experience less upset. You experience, hopefully, um, your peace is disturbed minimally. And when it is, you know how to work through it quickly. And for various circumstances, even though she had this extraordinary result, I never did the program. And I didn't have the money to invest. I didn't have the time to invest. My business wasn't thriving. So I didn't feel like I could take that time and money and to work on myself because I wasn't providing enough for my family yet. So who am I to give myself that? And for nine years, even though she knew this would change our relationship 180 degrees and it would just be so good for me and our business and our life, it was just never, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. It was like an invitation. Hey, they're having a class, you know, an introductory class. Hey, you know, have you thought about it? But never you should, but just, and hey, you know, I learned this here, I learned this there. And then nine years later, I finally said, okay, I'm ready. And it was, I think the second month into the program, I just had this enormous revelation of, Oh my goodness, she loves me so much that she was able to see how in my own way I was, how I was choosing things that were not serving me or us. And she did not force, she did not push, she did not judge. She just loved, loved, loved until I was ready. And then I stepped into it and you know, the rest is history. I did my program and we worked together and I'd like to think that I'm a happier person now. <laughs> and so I feel that's very similar to what you just shared with me about Nita. That she's yeah. like, you know, like, okay, he'll be ready when he's ready. And she saw that you weren't making choices that weren't serving you. And she could have beaten you up about it. And she could have really been not nice about it. But it sounds like she was lovely. Yeah. And one thing that I want to explore for that is because... Gratefully, we have women in our lives that were gentle and kind and patient to be in that situation and be like, all right, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna just, you know, let them decide at the pace they need to decide and have the change of the pace that they need to have in their lives. I have a curious question because I also get this question often from our students or people who are coaches is that because they are invited or hired to create change in somebody's life, right? Most of the coaches are. It's like the hair is a challenge I want to overcome or is a growth opportunity I want to chase. And so I'm getting a coach, right? Either I want to grow or I want to overcome something. And either of those circumstances can take time, right? Even if your package is three months or six months or whatever the package you sign to the client, the time that the client is going to take is the time that's kind client going to take. I have two-part question. Firstly, how does a coach stay patient to the change? 
at least from my point of view, that's what I would invite them to be patient towards change, because that's at least my perspective on any change is if it took you 36 years to be ready for change, it may take 36 months before you actually see any, right? So that's one thing. How do you stay patient? And second, if you can't stay patient, what is the mindset that you operate from? If you even agree to the second part, you don't have to agree at all. You can stay with one. Okay, so I'll answer the first part and then we'll see if I need to answer the second part. I believe that you need to be patient only if you have an expected outcome and a desired outcome and you have an attachment to the outcome and the length of time to which the person should receive the outcome. Everyone has their own spiritual curriculum and some people may move through things quickly and other people, this may be the 10th lifetime that they're working on this thing. So as a coach, it's not my job to try and get them there as quickly as possible. My job is to give them the tools to help them see things maybe that they may not be seeing on their own, the lessons, the perspectives, so that they can do the work to learn what it is that they're supposed to learn in the time that they're supposed to learn it. Hopefully, it's as quickly as possible. My ego is the thing that really wants a result fast. But the divinity inside of myself or the divinity that I am just knows my job is to love and support and they have all the tools and all of the gifts and all of the awareness and it's a matter of them doing the work to then achieve the end result. What your question actually brings up something else. I'm very aware that when I first started coaching, and even now to a certain degree, my ego would be running the show. I'm a words of affirmation guy. So, so much of my behavior throughout the day is driven to receive good job, Jan. Way to go, Jan. Love you, Jan. You are amazing. The end of this podcast. Good job, Jan. That was great. Love that conversation. Best conversation I've ever had on any podcast ever. You know, that's what I'm hoping to hear because that's the ego in me. By the way, you you can say that if you want. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's the ego in me. So when I- The best podcast I've ever had, Jan, ever. ever. Like I have never had this conversation. I didn't even know like what to ask because I was just engaged. When I would started coaching people, I wanted those aha moments. I wanted those tears. I wanted people to have those breakthroughs. And it, I became over time and with my own work that that was just my own ego wanting that. Now, I definitely deliver value. I definitely, I'm not going to just like be satisfied with us having the same conversation over and over and over again and like never moving things forward. I mean, I actually have some clients that I'm like, when are you going to fire me? When are we going to stop working together? Because you're not necessarily, you're, you're not listening. You're not doing the work. You're not there ready. And I tell myself, like, my job is just to continue to reflect, continue to show them. It took nine years for me to take this program. I don't know how long it's going to take someone to learn their lesson. Mm-hmm. So... That may be a little bit too long of an answer that you wanted. No, it's sure. perfect because I want to lean into that 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 answer because I think that's a big, I don't want to call it a challenge, but it's a big revelation, a big conversation to have is 
more often than not, again, we there's as much as we can say we have no ego or, you know, coaches have less ego or whatever, what a part of us does have, right? We want to do a good job. We have an expectation of, of ourselves. Our coaching is set up that way. It's like, yeah, in six months, we're going to work on blah, 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 and you're going to get blah, blah, blah as a result. I mean, that's the part of the pitch. That's the part of them saying, yes, I want that outcome. So I totally in agreement with you. And I want to know how do you let it go? Expectation, if not the ego. Ego may be a longer conversation, may have many variables, but at least the expectation of outcome for you or even for your client. If the client comes and saying, in six months, I want my relationship to be fixed and never have a fight around money. Well, how do you let go while saying yes and? How do you let go of that? Well, here's the first thing I'll say to that. We have certain principles that we teach that we experience a hundred percent result that it shifts their relationship, that it makes an impact. Like just because even in this conversation, if you hear one thing differently than you ever heard before, if you get one new nugget of information, if you heard the same thing, but maybe in a little different way, and then you make a different choice, then this had an impact then not that this is coaching, but like in a coaching session, then it will shift their behavior. It will shift their relationship. It'll shift who they, how they are about themselves. So I have a lot of confidence that there are certain lessons that are the fundamental lessons that are, you know, talking about how to shift your perspective, how the differentiation of realms where people are operating in the mental realm versus in the emotional realm where you're, you know, like people think that they're in their brains or, or but they're actually in their heart, understanding the little parts inside of yourself that are the past is driving your future, the voices in your head and having awareness, just the concept of self-awareness. There are certain things that I know that we do at the beginning of working with anyone that's going to create a result. I yes. want to clarify though, yeah. I'm not talking about a result, I'm talking about the result. Yeah. Well, right. Because there's always the result in the mind of the, the client, yes. right? They go, oh, this is the result. Yeah. And the result is, like you said, can take nine years sometimes yeah. to get to that place, three years to get to that place. Doesn't mean the shift wasn't happening. It was just like the, the result was X years away or X months away or X weeks away. Yeah. If I was a weight loss coach, mm-hmm. then I really get that the result is like, I haven't lost weight. If I'm an investor, it's like, hey, I'm looking at the numbers here, the bottom line, you know? And it's like, it's here. And you said it was going to be here. So we tell people that we're going to give you the tools so that you can learn how to never argue with your partner about money again. We do. We give you all of those tools. We can't control whether or not someone's going to use them. And it's difficult. That's challenging. So there's two parts to it is as a human being, as a divine being, as a coach, like all we can do is the best that we can. And I'm giving you all the tools and I'm reflecting and I'm doing everything that I know how. I'm connecting with my intuition. I'm connecting with my heart. I'm supporting every way that I can in order to help you achieve the result that you came for. But the second part is the result that people come for is often not the result that they really want or the result that they really need. And so as a coach, I try to be unattached to result. If I have an attachment to, it's that my, I don't want to use the word attachment. My intention is that you're going to grow in self-awareness. You're going to learn 
more about yourself. You're going to have the tools for your spiritual evolution. The real result that I want people to have is to experience more love in their life. And that's hopefully they can have that along with the thing that they came for specifically. But would you say that's something that you reflect to your clients as well? Frequently or at least once in a while saying something to the tune of at least what I heard of how you're really positioning yourself in context of saying, hey, listen, we're going to give you the tools. You're going to use the tools and sometimes you're not going to use the tools. And that's fine. It happens. Such is life. At the same point of time, what I'm really looking for as an outcome from you or for you is that increased love in your life, less conflict. Well, yes. And I'm going to give you the tools. And when you aren't using the tools in the past, you probably would have beat yourself up. Mm. So I'm going to give you the tools to be nice to yourself along the way Mm -hmm. because you're doing the best that you can. So the part of the journey is not only that you're doing the work to create your result, but how do you truly have unconditional loving for yourself and your partner while you're doing the work to achieve the goal? So it's not just the destination, it's the journey and how do you experience maximum love along the way in the journey? So that's what I would say. Beautiful. If I could tangentially go into a different tangent, the second big reason for people to separate was money. Yeah. The first big reason was infidelity. Yeah. How does that show up? And what is a coach's, not protocol per se, but what should be a thought process? I'm in a coaching session. I'm working with a client. The person says, hey, my wife cheated on me or my husband cheated on me. And what does a coach lean into at that point? So I would ask a lot of questions. Okay, so your partner cheated on you. Okay, how are you feeling right now about that? Is that a deal breaker? Are you like, okay, they do that and then we're done? And if so, why? What is the thing that hurts the most about it? I'm ashamed or they broke trust or this reminds me of my parents. So there's different ways of of really like working through it. But the first one is that, well, there's different areas and it's a little bit tricky. So I'm, I'm processing as I'm talking at the same time. So give me a second. The first thing about infidelity is that so often people say it's all their fault. They did it and they claim no ownership at all in their part of it. So there's different reasons why people cheat. One of them may be, I'm not getting anything here. And as a result, I'm starving. So I'm going to get that there. I'm not getting love. I'm not getting affection. I'm not being told that I'm beautiful. I'm here. This person makes me feel a certain way and I just crave it and I desire it. And so I do that. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that's what happens. And it's up to the person in the relationship to really go, did I have any part in this? If everything is happening for my highest good, 
is there some kind of a lesson that I'm supposed to be learning here? Not saying that I'm supposed to stay with my partner, not saying that I'm supposed to end it with my partner, but this just happened. Is there anything that I can use in this that's showing me something that I need to be more of a certain way? So that's one conversation to explore. The reason why I stopped is there's no specific order. There's various conversations to explore with someone who's in this type of a situation. And I wanted to go A, B, C, D, E, or one, two, three, four, five, but there's multiple conversations. So one of them- Because the experience is going to be different, but based on the person and their value system. Like some people will be like, okay, that happened and let's talk about it, deal with it, see what happened, move on. And some people will be like, this is the end of yours and end of their own world too, because somebody cheated on them. Yes. More commonly heard recently is serial cheaters. Mm. Like people who just cheat all the time, they have a conversation and then again, they go back into the same mold. For me, it was like, that's okay. I mean, if that's agreement in your relationship is fine, but without the agreement in the relationship, it's kind of not okay. Well, yeah, I mean, the question would be like, why are you okay with this? Yeah. And probably, you know, the story of how to boil a frog where, Mm -hmm. you know, you turn the water up. So it's probably someone who's experienced some sort of serial trauma in their life. So they're used to serial trauma. And so the work there is to heal that wound to then potentially heal the future wound. I think for our listeners, you should still tell the story of the water frog water boiling. Not the story, but the concept. Sure, sure. So, and I want to make sure, because I'm aware of time, I want to make sure when I answer this question, the, the original one, I got on a session with a client and as we're speaking, their smoke alarm beeps. And you know, that's like a shriek, right? When the battery is dead, mm-hmm. it's like a shriek. And I'm like, okay, and just happened once, no problem. We keep talking. Two minutes later, it goes off again. Two minutes later, it goes off again. And I said, is your smoke alarm going off? And he said, yeah, we have to change the battery. We just, I, I just haven't gotten it to it yet. I'm like, okay, well, let's just have a few more minutes in the session. No problem. We'll, we'll keep talking. So a week later, I get on the call and the smoke alarm goes off. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Have you not changed that yet? And like, yeah, we've just been... And like, I could not be in that situation. Like, as soon as I heard the second beep, the first one would be like, oh, was that that? First time I hear the second beep, I'm changing it. So I told them... We are so so similar in that way. <laughs> I'm changing immediately. And sometimes I would go in the morning, I would come back and I'll be like, yeah, this has been on for eight hours. I was like, why didn't nobody get on the thing and change it? I, it's like, and I have help at home. They would not change it either. I was like, all right, I'll do it. Well, well, that's a really important part of personal development. There are people who are like, I'm okay with things just being okay. Hmm. And... I'm not. You're not. If something's not okay, I'm going to do something about it as quickly as possible. And so the story that I referenced a second ago is that the question is, how do you boil a frog? Mm -hmm. And if you take boiling water and you put a frog in it, it'll jump out right away. Mm -hmm. But if you have lukewarm water or room temperature water and you put the frog in, it's a very sad story for the frog. It's cruising around and it's just happy. And then you turn the heat up a little bit and then you turn it up and turn it up and it won't jump out at first. I mean, you turn the heat up a little bit and it stays in the water because the water goes, temperature grows up a little bit and it acclimates. And then it goes up a little bit more and it acclimates to the point where you turn it up and the water is boiling and it had acclimated all along the way and then it dies. Mm. And this is how people often are, 
is that they become acclimated to trauma. They become acclimated to chaos. They get acclimated to a certain way of things. And then they don't even recognize it as being so bad because it's what they're used to. So I reference that with someone who's in a serial cheating situation is because they probably, some things in their life have been so consistently at that level of pain that that's what they know life is like. For you and I, if something is at that level, we do something about it as quickly as possible. So to get back to your previous question, about infidelity. One is I have people look, what's their responsibility? The second one is we use this as an opportunity to process their feelings. Because if you get cheated on, like what is your experience about it? It will impact each person uniquely. So I have a story, a personal story that's not about cheating, but it felt the same way to me. So my now wife and I fell in love in college And we were going to be happily ever after, happily ever after. And then we graduated and we started life and things didn't work out the way that we thought they were going to. She was going to be a doctor and couldn't get into the top medical school and wasn't okay with going to number two or number three. And I'm not going to be a doctor. And I was working in Hollywood and I was working all the time and she was unhappy and I was never there. And suddenly life isn't working and we didn't have the tools that we really needed to have in order to be able to do life together. And so we broke up and then we'd get back together and we broke up and got back together. And then finally, like we broke up and we're done. And during that time, she moved on. I tried to move on. She moved on. She had another boyfriend, almost I think a year or so, very serious relationship. When I heard that, it broke my heart. And so I experienced that almost as cheating because it felt like it was cheating on our fairy tale. So like I am saying to what I would ask a client, like, what is it about the cheating that hurt so much? And what I got to was that what really hurt wasn't that she had another boyfriend. What really hurt was the death of this dream that I had, that I thought my life was going to look a certain way and be a certain way. And it wasn't until I was able to see like, listen, like this is what she needed as part of her journey. By the way, the guy didn't want to have kids and didn't want to get married. And is the thing that said to her, like, why am I wasting my time? These are the things Jan want. And so that relationship is what brought her back to me. So it actually, you know, thank God she fell in love with another man. Okay. Going back to that story. So it was required for us to be where we are now. But I never would have felt that. So in the moment, it was like, this is the death of my dream. And this is the death of how I see her. And often in cheating, it's like, you're not who I thought you were. And how could you do this to me? If you want to do the work, if you can understand that one, they're a human being doing the best that they can. And two, they didn't do this to you. They did this. And you could be experiencing as to you but they just did this. And if you can try and get into their world, then there may be opportunity that it could become a blessing that makes all the difference. The last part I'll say about this is another way of looking at this is just simply a broken agreement. Remember how I talked about how I look at things and you take out the subject and just make it a template? Mm -hmm. So 
It's like, we agreed we're not going to spend money. And my partner goes out and spends money. And then I'm upset because they spent money. We have a broken agreement. We get to talk about why they broke the agreement. And can we create a new agreement? What would the new agreement look like? Do they, we want to keep the same agreement, but make some changes. So another way, a very logical way is like, this was a broken agreement. And now you have some understanding and some awareness of why they did what they did. How do we create a new agreement? So those are some of the different tactics to work with around infidelity. I think those are really, really powerful and extremely useful in a day-to-day coaching conversation, at least to get the understanding started. And I think a lot of these tools that you shared today will be valuable to coaches to bring it to their lives, like take it and implement it. Because like you said, if they are in a relationship, they've had some version of infidelity conversation or some version of money conversation and may not have tackled it correctly. So thank you so much, Jan, first of all, taking the time to come and sit with me. Where is it that people can find more about you? A website, Instagram, what is that? Sure. So my wife and my business partner is Monica. So you can go to janandmonica.com. And um, I think you have to spell it J-A-N-A-N-D-M-O-N-I-K-A. Thank right? you so much. Yeah. Yes. Janandmonica.com. I know. We'll like, link it up below. In Perfect. The I, yeah, I was going to say, I assume there always has to be a link because it's it's a little bit tricky. And you can just search either Jan Zans, Monica Zans, that'll show up. We're also on YouTube. So we talk about relationships. We have a studio, part of uh, our move to Austin. And the dream was to build our own studio so we could go live and we could really talk to people and, and create a lot of content. So we are live a couple times a week on YouTube. And we also are talking to people and doing coaching sessions, couples coaching sessions. And then those are available on our YouTube channel. And it's also, it's, it's called The Rich Relationship Show. You can go to Jan and Monica. You also can go to therichrelationship.com. And you can the find richrelationship.com. Go to Jan and Monica's, janandmonica.com or go to YouTube and type The Rich Relationship with Jan and Monica and you should probably be able to find it. And every other platform. And every other platform. So go ahead and do that right now. Thank you so much again, Jan. It was a pleasure talking to you. It was the best podcast I've <laughs> ever done. Uh, so I'm so excited about it to go out to the world and for people to be able to use it. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you, Hachit.